Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that first reading that I read to you in your hearing in 2 Kings chapter 4. We arrive this morning in the verse 38, where it says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, Set on thee the great pot, and seethe the pottage for the sons of the prophets. Now we are told several things in this verse. In this time of history, in the nation Israel's history, uh, there was a dearth. We read in this verse, a dearth is a famine. It's an old-fashioned word, I suppose, for famine. And God had promised in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that he would send various judgments upon the people, upon the land, if they had forsaken him, forsaken his laws, and so on. Deuteronomy 15, we read 28.15, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, I will command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee. And there's a very long litany of curses there. And overtake thee. Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land. In other words, God would send judgments upon the people by withholding his goodness. They didn't deserve it. The Lord promised good. If they keep his laws, all would be well. And this is one of the ways that the Lord would keep this nation. Of course, they are sinners like us all. God would providentially, until the Savior would come into the world, keep this nation. And he would bring the Savior through this nation, wouldn't he? He would come through the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And one of the reasons why God had made this covenant with Israel was to bring the Savior into the world. God has an everlasting covenant, nonetheless, that he made with his Son even before the world began. He promised, as we sang from that Psalm 2, that he would even give the heathen for his possession. A covenant, that covenant was expressed to Father Abraham that he should be the father of many nations. But he must now chastise this people in order to keep this people. Sadly, many of them we know have succumbed to the foolish and idolatrous religions of this world. And they are quite sickly, really, to reduce God to a stick, to a stone. And uh, to get God to do what you want him to do, is rather selfish, isn't it? Those gods, we could say, the gods of the Canaanites, were self-serving gods. They were invented by men. They weren't real gods. They were fictitious gods of the figments of men's imaginations. And really, they, they just serve self. And the nation, by now, we know, had succumbed not only to uh, Baal worship, but also bull worship, worshipping Went there the golden calf. And uh, God was never to be represented by some image and so on. So judgment has come upon the land. 
even from Elisha's, uh, the one who went before him, Elijah. Judgment has come upon the land. There were famines in the days of Elijah. And now there's dearth again, because they are not, by and large, the country, the land, are not turning from their sin. They are not repenting. The prophet here has done many miracles already. He has shown the power of God. God even showed up the false god Baal, didn't he, at Mount Carmel with Elijah. And yet, this nation, this wicked nation, who had seen the Red Sea parted, who had been fed manna from heaven for 40 years, continue in their wicked path of destruction. And God is bringing judgment upon judgment. But we know God is very faithful, isn't he, to his covenant promise. When they cried out unto him, he delivered them from all of their enemies. But now we have here faithful, the faithful prophet Elisha and his carrying on. Elijah, we remember in chapter 2, was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. And at the time, there were a hundred prophets left, sons of the prophets. Now, they weren't actual prophets themselves, but that word prophesy can also mean to preach. Elijah could tell you the future because God spoke to him directly. But these sons of the prophets were sort of like preachers in the land. And they uh, were meant to preach in the land. And they were. And they're coming here under Elisha's instruction. And remember much earlier how Jezebel, wicked Jezebel, and King Ahab, well, she persecuted many of the prophets. She slew the prophets. And Obadiah, what did he do? He hid the prophets, a hundred of them, by fifties in caves. And in chapter 2, we're reminded, aren't we, that as Elijah is taken up into heaven, there were fifty, one band, one party of those prophets, were with Elisha. And they saw, they witnessed Elijah go up into heaven. Now, Elisha's ministry, as we've seen over the last few weeks, very much foreshadows the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Elijah. Elijah, his ministry foreshadowed that of John the Baptist, preaching repentance. Much of Elijah's ministry was ministry of judgment, whereas much of Elisha's ministry is a ministry of mercy, pointing to Christ. And we'll see that here now. It's a mercy that God has spared this nation. Now, we must remember that there's still, as God had said, remember when Elijah the Tishbite ran away, the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, you're not the only one left. You're not the only faithful one. There are 7,000 Elijah that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And that must have been an encouragement for him. There were still true worshippers of the living God who were not making representations of God and who were not gone in a false way. And now we see that there are sons of the prophets here with Elisha. Some years have passed now and he's teaching them. He's instructing these sons of the prophets. Look at verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets 
was sitting before him. And he said that that whole idea of sitting before him gives us the idea that they were under his instruction. There they were, listening to him as he would teach, as he would teach the word of God and as he would instruct. Now, that we, there's so many lessons to learn just from this small section of God's word. And one of the things that we first, just to put into context this passage, as we think of 2 Kings chapter 4, do we not have, of course, as we saw, God the giver of life? Remember, there was that Shunammite widow, and she didn't have a son, her and her husband. And they showed kindness, didn't they, to Elisha the prophet. And she bore a son in very old age. And then even that son died. God promised that she would have a son, and God, by the prophet, raised the son. And we thought last time, didn't we, of the same miracle, almost identical, should we say, there just a few miles away in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the Lord Jesus raised uh, the son of the widow of Nain. And she was in even a worse predicament than this widow because she didn't have a husband. At least this woman had a, had a husband. But that woman and the Lord Jesus Christ they had nothing. And the Lord raised her son. What joy there must have been in that town. Some 800 years have passed coming into the days of the Lord Jesus. Well, now we come, and what we see, not only from chapter 4, God who is the giver of life, what we learn from verse 38 and onwards here, that God, friends, is the preserver of life. That's really what we're going to glean. And he gives abundant life. And I want us to think there's a, there's a great famine that is taking place right now here in Israel in the north. And these are terrible times. Notice verse 38 again. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And we, we read there earlier, didn't we, from Deuteronomy 28. These things are not merely what we could say, and people say, coincidental. These things, nothing happens by chance. My friends, if God is not ordering every molecule, he's not ordering anything at all. Everything that is taking place in this world is by God. And sometimes it may even appear to be to our harm, but it's never to the harm of the believer. It's always to the good of the believer, as we will see once again in this passage. And this is all by God. And there, as I said, there are many lessons to learn from this particular passage that we as Christians might plug, as it were, this into our life. Say, Lord, what dost thou have to say to me today? The word of God tells us, is it not in Romans 15 verse 4, for whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Our hope is in the Lord, who does not lie, and who orders all things, for the glory of his name and for the good of our souls. And it's good and wonderful that if God has saved us and he will do a mighty work in us. Well, we see here the faithful prophet 
Elisha. What's he doing? Well, we could say he's feeding the sons of the prophets by the word. We're reminded, aren't we? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I want you just to think in your mind's eye as you go on the scene. There's a dearth in the land. Now, the historians tell us that when there was a dearth in the land, people spent most of the day foraging, looking for things. So most of your day was spent doing what? Looking for food. The animals are dying. It's, it's a terrible state. Hardly any plants. And, and you see what they put in the pot? Wild goods. They're picking whatever they can to boil, to eat, to stretch out the broth, whatever's in there, to make it last. But what are they actually doing? They're not wasting the day so much looking for food, but they're at, as it were, the feet of Elisha. It says they sat the sons, there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. That's, a, that's tremendous, isn't it? What a picture that is. I I want you to firstly glean there that, you know, the real necessity for the Christian, as even the Lord Jesus emphasizes, doesn't he, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't worry what you might eat, what you might wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of your needs. And they are doing just precisely that. They are sitting, as it were, at the feet of Elisha. And he's feeding them the word of God. You can see that's where their priority is. And that ought to be true for us. Shouldn't be any different for us as Christians. What, let me ask you, is your priority in the Christian life? Is it food? Or is it this food? Is it the food of God's word? It could be even things, not just food. It could be possessions. There's nothing wrong to have those things. But those things should never be the priority of the life. And those things can't really give you life anyway. Man not only shall not live by bread alone, and as the Lord Jesus said, a man's Life does not consist in the abundance of things, does it? You you might see a man who has great possessions, but spiritually he's poor. He knows nothing of God. He has no hope. I mean, look at, we don't mean to decry any man. We don't say we're any better. Look at Mr. Bill Gates. He has so much wealth, so much money. Jeff Bezos and these other men who have amassed great wealth. But you know, they have to leave it all behind at the end of this life. What profit a man, says the Lord Jesus, if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Or what will a man, said the Lord Jesus, give in exchange for his soul? It's amazing what some men do. Think of Balaam. Balaam who could say and who did say, Oh, that I could die the death of the righteous. He knew so much, he could even give insight to the coming of the Savior. I see his star from afar off, he said. 
Yet he did not know that Savior. He did not know the Lord. So far are some people from God. Do we make God's word, first of all, a priority? Well, look at these young men. We've got the men's meeting coming up. And you know, for me as a, as a minister, the most precious thing for me to see is men hungry for the word of God. Because I know they can go home and feed their families. And they can live by that word. It's the most needful thing, isn't it? How poor a man is without the word of God. If you don't have God's word, you've got nothing. It's the word of God that abides forever. But, and, and we can see that here, Elisha, he cares for them. And you might say, well, doesn't he care about their stomachs? Well, Elisha's, uh, Elisha's care primarily is for their souls. Isn't it? For their souls. And so he is feeding. That, and there are few prophets now, preachers, and you think of the whole land of Israel, if they're hiding in 50s and if there were two bands, 100, maybe there's not many of them left now. And, and there's certainly a number of them here before him. But that's not much. And we equate that number to the vast land area of Israel. Very few. And truth, as we know, was precious in those days. Little of it known. And it says in verse 7, uh, 2 Kings 2, sorry, verse 7 and 50, the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. That was at the ascension of Elijah. And now we read that there's this dearth in the land. Now, as I said, many would spend the day looking for food, but the priority here is the word of God. That's Elijah's, Elisha's priority, and so it was for the men, tending to the spiritual needs, not merely physical needs. Now, God does care about our physical needs, and that we must never forget. And uh, maybe we're burdened over our physical needs, whether it's food, whether it's family, whether it's, it's anything like that. God does care. Remember what the Lord Jesus said? You're not more valuable than the birds? You're not more valuable? Are you not more important? You who are made in the image of God, and if you've been redeemed by Christ, he does care. Oh, he does care indeed. Now, as we come to this passage, there, as I said, several things to glean. There's this dearth in the land, and I want you to think here, not only is God going to care for the people, but I want you to think, a, a young man, he goes out, and he, he, he looks to put more in the pot. Notice, as we see, there's a great pot. And it seems that they're all going to eat out of one pot. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, we don't know who that is. It could be Gehazi. Set on the great pot more than likely Gehazi, and seethed pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field. We don't know if that was Gehazi or probably one of the sons of the prophet, to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild girds, his 
lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So he's shredding it. He doesn't know what's in it, but he puts them, this wild gird there. And the second thing I want to say is that good intentions uh, don't make up for bad ingredients. Good intentions don't make up for bad ingredients. This young man had every good intention. There was no malice in him, of course. But there's a lesson. Of course, there's a practical lesson, isn't there? I mean, you check the expiry date of something when you buy it in the store. How unloving would it be for us as a church if I bought something and I knew the expiry date had gone out and I pulled it off and I brought it to the fellowship meal and I poisoned everybody? Wouldn't be very loving, would it? For me as a pastor or for any of you, that's not loving at all. Good intentions... Don't make up for bad ingredients. Now, we can apply that in the spiritual realm, can't we? You know, there are many well-intended preachers that are very slick. And sometimes it's things that they don't say that are dangerous. They present a, a half a message. And we have to be very careful. There's a lot of preaching out there on the internet. And I have to warn you, I I know I frequently warn you about this. Most of, of, of what was in the pot here was good. But something that was put in it was deadly. And just think of what could have happened had God not have intervened. Think about, think of the state of the nation Israel right now. It's in a perilous state spiritually. Truth is hated. These prophets could have been wiped out. And the nation would have perished. The Savior has to come into the world. And God will intervene, not only because he cares for the prophets, but because he cares for his church, friends. Here is the true church of God. And you see, God's children will be given discernment. One of the sons here, it seems like everybody's been served. Everything has been set. Notice verse 40, they poured out for the men to eat. So everybody's had. And it came to pass as they were eating. Everybody's eating. That one notices it. That's astounding, isn't it? I don't know if we saw that in the text. One person discerned. And you know, the Lord gives discernment to his people in the spiritual realm. That's why the Lord has given teachers, elders, pastors, so that, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we be not deceived by the trickery of men. A little poison in the sermon, can do great harm, can't it? It's so vital that we have sound doctrine. Not only sound food to eat, but sound doctrine. The Lord says elsewhere, for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. 
And, and that, how true is that today? And, and you know, you, a young man, a person can be very enthusiastic, and this young man was very enthusiastic. He went out, and he, and he saw these girls. He thought, "Why, this looks wonderful, tremendous. But it was deadly. Absolutely deadly. And they could have all died. Good intentions don't make up for bad ingredients, don't they? Do they? And, uh, well, the experts, there's a name for this plant, the experts in the area call it Citrolius colsynthis. This, it's perhaps this plant. And they say, the experts say, it's a, a yellowy-orangey-shaped kind of melon that it's absolutely deadly. And yet, something is put in it, and all is made well. And I want to, first of all, think of the Lord's power to preserve. And, and this is so important, isn't it? The first miracle. There are actually two miracles that take place here. The first is, of course, all, both of them are by the Lord. And there's nothing miraculous about the flower. There's nothing miraculous about the bread. But what we have to say is it, it is of the Lord that these things take place. And then we'll look to the New Testament. Notice the first miracle. One cries out, O thou man of God. Notice end of verse 40 there. This one of the sons of the prophets cries out to Elisha, there's death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. They, they realized suddenly, yes, there is. How did we not notice it? It was there. They just didn't notice it. But he said, that's Elisha, then bring meal. Now, obviously, the Lord is directing, leading, and guiding Elisha, who is the prophet. And he cast it into the pot. That is meal. That would be maize or some sort of flour. We don't know exactly what kind. And he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. This is amazing. Now, the experts tell you, and they know this plant, that humanly speaking, this is not possible to take out the impurities and the poisons from this gourd. But Elisha says, pour in the meal. Bring the meal, pour it in the pot, and we read, and there was no harm in the pot. It was perfectly good to eat. Now, that can only be explained to the Lord. He knew exactly, and we have to appreciate, he loved these young men. There was a brotherly love. And the Lord had obviously given him an instruction, do this. Why is this taking place? Because the Lord preserves his people. He loves his people. In the midst of all this famine, I want you to think with me, God is providing the needs of his people. Now, we have to say, it, you know, the, the judgment that Israel were facing also came upon them, but it was for their good. We know this from Scripture, Romans 8, 28. And God, Paul says, and we know that God works all things together for good to them that love him, to them that are called according to his purpose. So Christians may be caught up in some kind of disaster or something like that, but it's always for the good of the Christian. 
And therefore we, we don't have a sorrow like the world has sorrow. We don't despair like the world despairs. We know as they say, God's going to work this for my good. In my, I trust God. And God did undertake here for them and provide for them. So I hope we grasp that lesson. And then, we, fourthly, we have another lesson and, and, and another miracle. We have life abundant. Not only is there the, the pottage good, and they're able to take from it. But notice what happens after they take from the pot, and there came a man from Baal Shalisha, verse 42, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. Now, if there were all the prophets here, there would be a hundred of them. Would that be enough? Well, they obviously say no. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. Now, we don't know much about this man from Baal Shalisha, do we? But there's an objection. Look at verse 43. And his servitor said, what? Should I set this before a hundred men? There's a hundred men here. Is it possible that these few loaves will feed these men? Common sense, ordinary means, we say no, it's not enough, not really. And he said again, give the people that they may eat. Why? For thus saith the Lord. See, this, the Lord has sent this man. It's not only preserving of life, and it's not only food for them, but it's an abundance. It's, it's tremendous. That's why we read, didn't we, from John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus. There was a, a vast multitude of people following the Lord Jesus, wasn't there? And we read that there were just five, there were 5,000 men, and then you can count on top of that women and children. Probably, experts say, nigh on 10,000 people were provided for by just that little boy's what he had. And the differences are many. The Lord Jesus, when he said his disciples, he, he said, take the baskets. Return to that in a minute. If you just turn there with me now, actually. In John chapter 6. Verse 1. I want you to see the correlations between these two passages and the striking contrasts and comparisons as well. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Verse 1. A great multitude followed him, verse 2, because they saw his miracles which he did on them, which were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples in the Passover. A feast of the Jews was nigh. When then Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that we that these may eat? Now notice, 
It's not as if the Lord Jesus Christ is bereft of answers. Because we read, and this he said to prove, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. His proving, his trying Philip and these other men, will they obey? So what happens? Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which have five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, men in number about 5,000. So just the men, let alone the others. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now notice, when they were filled, that's the people, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Now notice, therefore they gathered them together and were filled 12, 12 baskets. The, the baskets were just as full when they came back as they were when they went out. And what is the Lord saying in all of this? He is the God who provides everything. And you know, at the end of this chapter, I encourage you this afternoon to go home and read John chapter 6. The Lord Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I've come from your fathers, he said, at manna in the wilderness. And they died. But he that eats my flesh, he didn't mean physically, he meant spiritually, and drinketh my blood. The bread that I give him is to eternal life. What is Christ saying and what is God even saying to us in this passage? That God provides for the needs of his people. Those like these young men who consider his word more precious even than their daily food that they eat and put in their mouths. That's a good question to ask you today. How precious is God's word to you. Is it precious? If it's precious, you'll read it and you'll meditate upon it. The psalmist says, write thy law upon my heart that I sin not against thee. As a young Christian, what I began to do, and this was a good practice, somebody encouraged me to do this, is I, and the pastor said to me, he said, look, Areas of your life where you feel you may be tempted, write down a Bible verse, put it in your pocket, and memorize it. So that when you are tempted, you'll have God's word. It's exactly what the Lord Jesus did in John 4. Well, he, he, he knows he is the word, isn't he? But that's how he was able to fight Satan. Every time Satan came to him, what did the Lord Jesus say? It is written. It is written. And my friends, that, that's it. 
when you are in times of tribulation, think of it, the sons of God here, the sons of the prophets, they're in a terrible state. But they must know God will provide our needs. His word, he has promised that shall go out. We better obey the prophet here. The prophet has said, put meal in the pot. We can eat. But what, what else comes? They eat so they receive abundantly more. That when the man from Shalisha comes, they enjoy more food. And that is true, my friends, in the spiritual realm. If you are not growing in the word of God, you will not appreciate or be able to eat, as it were. As Paul says, solid meat. Those who know little cannot expect, my friends, Paul had to say, didn't he, to the Corinthians, and he even had to say to the Hebrews, you should be on meat by now. And I've known Christians, sadly, have been Christians for many years, 20, 30 years. And it saddens me to say, they know little of God's word. Can hardly quote you a verse of scripture. If we love the Lord, who is the Word, we should love His Word. God is so good, He can't lie. He gave His Son. Will He withhold anything from you? Learn His Word. Learn to pray His Word. You know, God loves to hear His promises brought back to Him in prayer. He says in his word, he says, prove me now, prove me. Am I not faithful? Am I not true to my word? My friends, God is. God gave his son true to his word. God gave his son. Is the rest of that hymn, I forget it now. Bless promise he never will revoke. One word he has spoke. Not one word. Joshua said, all that the Lord has said has come to pass. You see how God cares for his people. He provides for them. There's some doubting. We've learned lessons about even hygiene here. Love for the brethren. And... Uh, so many ways, so many lessons we can learn here about loving our brother, loving the truth above all. We shouldn't want any error. My prayer every time I come to preach is, Lord, please, may I never speak a word amiss. And what I have ever spoken amiss, would thou never bring it to re the remembrance of my people? Thank the Lord, he's merciful, isn't he? And so good that he gave his son. May we heed his word, may we love his word, and love his ways. Amen. Amen.